0: Coping with loss is never easy. One of the privileges I have in my pastoral role is officiating funerals, celebrations of lives, and memorials, but I increasingly hear as I officiate these moments, as I walk through these difficult and trying times, emotional times with uh, families, I, I, I hear for many people, that they just don't know what to do. Who's supposed to sing? Who's supposed to speak? Is it supposed to be religious? Is it not supposed to be religious? How, how do, how do we how do we navigate that? You know, is we well, should we do it at a house, at a funeral home, at a at a church, at a at a neutral space? And the questions just keep going because it's it, it feels at times can can all this pressure, but also all this emotion. Because I think sometimes when we think of funerals, celebrations of life's or memorials, it's someone else's family. It's emotional moments on TV shows or the movies. To someone you go to work or go to school with. But not to you. Until it does. Death. The final frontier. The one thing we all have in common. Yet while death is avoided being talked about in our culture through the use of words such as loss, passing on, gone before, it's something we talk about regularly within the church. In fact, it's something we almost sing about weekly in one form or another. Talk about a direct affront to our daily rhythms and perspective. Life's supposed to be good, happy, upbeat, you know, kind of a a poppy, you know, music tune in your head for all steps of life, but yet... When you come to a gathering and then death is sung about, there's a contrast. Because we're used to avoid suffering, pain. Or maybe even if if we think about death, we we glamorize it at, at some level because it's at a distance, it's on a movie or a TV show. Something that we don't really have to deal with in our personal life. As 16th century Protestant theologian John Calvin wrote, we undertake all things as if we were establishing immortality for ourselves on earth. If we see a dead body, we may philosophize briefly about the fleeting nature of life, but the moment we turn away from the sight, the thought of our own existence remains fixed in our minds, as if we were to go on and on. Death is an abstraction to us something technically true, but unimaginable as a personal reality until it becomes a personal reality. And it's important to become aware of our actual beliefs about death because we can think how we might handle death or how we would want to handle death or how we might feel about death until death visits us. Because a significant number of believers in God find their faith shaken or destroyed when they learn that they will die at a time and in a way that seems unfair to them. With, we all hear this. I think of one woman who told me several years ago when she was diagnosed with cancer, she said, I'm just, I'm just not a Christian anymore because it just doesn't work for me. I can't believe in a personal God who would do something like this to me. Cancer killed her God because the perspective of the world had shaped her and it shapes us the messages we hear both explicitly and implicitly in our daily lives about how we think about the world and the way the world is going and the world in which we live in it does shape us and if we don't identify what we are supposed to believe about death and life then we will become passively agreeing with maybe a faulty understanding of the way the world works. And religious activity doesn't automatically provide solace in times of crisis. Religious belief does not always shape how we talk about the world. A prime example is the initial inspiration for how the song, Death Was Arrested, came to be written. I want you to listen about the, the intermingling of religious words And this perspective of death on this tombstone. North Point, who wrote this song, their drummer was visiting his uncle in Georgia. And he went into this cemetery and he saw on this tombstone, says, Here rests what was a mortal of Samuel Barr, age 42. In search of health far from his endeared home, death arrested his progress on the 2nd of April, 1831. Quietly, he fell asleep in the Christian hope of immortality and glory forever. The moment crisis hits our life, the reality of God and the perspective of humanity demands reconciliation. That's when faith in our life either becomes fiction or fact. So when the certainty of your mortality and death finally breaks through, however it might break through, Is there a way to face it without debilitating fear? I believe there is. It involves two layers of work. The first layer of work is our head work. The second is work on our hearts. And when these two converge, it begins to show up in our everyday lives. Without this work... We express what orthopedic surgeon Paul Brand, who spent the first part of his medical career in India and his last part of his medical career in the U.S., wrote in a recent memoir. He said this, In the U.S., I encounter a society that seeks to avoid pain at all costs. Patients live at a greater level of comfort than any I had previously treated, but they seem far less equipped to handle suffering and far more traumatized by it. See, the work begins that despite our technological advancement, despite our improvements in health care, despite our initiatives to care for those who are sick, death is inevitable. You cannot outmuscle death, you cannot outsmart death, you cannot not outrun death, you cannot hide from death. Even those who may try to collect the deathly hollows come to the realization that death is a part of life. Evil is real. Even good has unintended consequences that can result in evil. Even followers of Jesus are not immune to distancing ourselves from this reality. And so in the midst of this reality, we've got to do some headwork. And I think the headwork, I'm going to give you two ways that we're going to do headwork, and then we'll move to heart work. The first way we do headwork is recognizing that the reality of evil proves there is a God. And if there is a God, then what he says about the way the world works and the future of the world and death in particular has meaning and can affect our life. Here's what I mean. Someone who is a skeptic, and that may be you in this room or online, you likely assume, and we do out different parts in time, assume that there is such a thing as categorical evil. For example, there is near universal agreement that killing innocent people or abusing children is categorically wrong. Others might consider cancer or being the victim of a tsunami or an earthquake also to be suffering. The fact that someone who is skeptical acknowledges categories of evil and suffering presents a problem. Where do these categories originate? Where do you get the idea that human beings are important, that human life has value, and that human beings should be protected and loved instead of tortured and disposed of. We sense in ourselves and in our larger culture that there is an inherent moral order to the universe. There is a way things are supposed to be. And the existence of those convictions, that there is a right, and a wrong, that there is a good and an evil, however you might term them, the fact that those categories exist in your mind, in your world, actually points towards God, not away from Him. And for this reason, we're able to find great hope in the song, Death Was Arrested. The main thrust of this song is a progression from separation from God and spiritual death to eternal life with God from sin's enslavement to freedom from sin, from death's freedom to run rampant in our world, to run rampant in our lives, from sin and its consequences, to, to just continue to perpetuate brokenness, has been arrested and confined and dealt with. And it's consumed imprisonment through Jesus. See, according to Revelation 20, verse 14. Death itself will be thrown to a lake in fire. Death will receive death. But death must be seized for that to occur and for eternal life, as described in Revelation 21, 1 through 5, to start within the life of an individual. I had John read that passage because it says, Then there was a new heaven and a new earth. And what was experienced in the original earth passed away. It says, look, God is dwelling with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. No more grief. No more crying. And the pain that we experience will be no more. So that means that when we experience pain, when we experience suffering, we have to be fearful of it. Because it's going to get its due. Justice will be served. It will be arrested and dealt with. And we have the opportunity to experience that through Jesus. See, Christ defeated death via his resurrection. He proved that there was something after death validating what he was said about himself and what God had said about him. Death will not be defeated for us until it's thrown into like a fire, a future event that's recorded, but it's approved and the resurrection of Jesus. And this is the second aspect of our headwork. We have to believe and come to understand and be equipped with the resurrection of Jesus is real. It's not some fairy tale, it's not some fiction. It's not something that sounds nice in a movie or in a myth. What happened within history. Now if you doubt the resurrection of Jesus and you're unsure about the validity of that, the historicity of that, that's okay. You're in good company. Even Jesus' own disciples didn't believe that he was actually going to come back from the dead. But he did. And there are plenty of uh, scholars and evidences that prove the resurrection of Jesus. I don't have time to get into those all today, but if you have questions, if you have doubts, know that you are not in good company and you're able and willing to bring those doubts. Let's have a conversation about them. Because when we recognize that the resurrection of Jesus proves that there's something on the other side of death, we can have hope. And so let's make sure that we understand how the resurrection changes everything. See, the reality of Jesus' resurrection Intellectually means more than death. And Paul writes about this to believers across, uh, specifically this church in Corinth. About how the implications of the resurrection, what it means for their life, how they should think about the world. How they should think about death. And he says this, And 1 Corinthians 15, it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But in each turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, the end, the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, as, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. See, what started in Jesus, his life, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his powerful victorious resurrection can be made manifest in our life. Because after we encounter the risen Jesus, after we allow that to shape us, it starts to shift our perspective on life. See, Paul, after his encounter with Jesus, was able to be, go from being racked with fear and being consumed with a, the right and wrong in that moment to being consumed with, with Jesus, meaning he was able to say words like, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. O death, where is thy sting? Don't you long to be able to say words like that? To be able to have the perspective that no matter what trial, no matter what circumstance, no matter what pain, no matter what suffering, it has no sting on me. It cannot hold, it will not consume because I have a Savior and I have Jesus and I know he's got a bigger and better perspective on the way this world is. and that justice will come, that death will get its due. That the pain and the suffering that sometimes you suffer unjustly will be served a warrant. For its arrest, and it will be arrested and imprisoned and will receive death. See, we don't have to be crippled by fear when we think about life and death. What enabled that change for Paul? It comes when we begin to, to bridge the heart work and the head work to, that goes from an abstract belief to one that touches our imagination, one that garners hope in the face of death. Because it shows up in the daily and deep questions. That if all there is in this life is this life, we are a prisoner of fear with death looming. Did I make my life count? Did I experience everything there was? Did I live a good enough life? Am I on the right side of history? Did I find my purpose? Did I marry the right person? Did I do right by my family? Did I make my family proud? What about my mistakes? Will that travel with me forever? If they only knew it was inside my heart, what might they say? And the questions could go on. And if all there is, is this life, then those questions will rack our mind and consume us with fear. But when we know that on the other side of death is life through Jesus, we can be consumed with hope that our guilt that the things we've done wrong can we can be made innocent the shame that we fear for the things that we've done wrong or the things that we wish were hidden that we've internalized can we can actually been re- made restored to honor that the, the, the things that we are fearful of we know that there is a power inside of us through the holy spirit because of Jesus that we can walk through anything so let me return to the story about the inspiration for Death Was Arrested. Fast forward a few years later, during a songwriting camp. The drummer was sitting there, and they were pulled up this image. And it says, the tombstone said, Death arrested his progress. So the group started thinking about that. And they realized that Death did not arrest Samuel Barr on April 2nd, 1831. But in fact, Jesus arrested death for Samuel on April 2nd, 1831. Christ arrested death for him when he breathed his last breath. Something they said about that tombstone was really sobering. We realized the potential and thought maybe our song could redefine what it means to trust Jesus. We soon saw that it could not only redefine spiritual death, but also physical death. See, trusting and following Jesus is not just a get-out-of-jail-free card when you die. It's not fire insurance for while you live to live however you want, but it's recognizing that because death cannot separate us from the love of God, we do not have to fear death. And we wanted to communicate that salvation, that being in God's family, that being rescued, is much more than simply praying a prayer, but rather it's complete transformation. And when they said they started to think about all the things that occur when we trust Jesus. And we realize that it's a gift from God. Because we don't walk in times of fear, but we walk in freedom. We walk in freedom because death has been arrested. So when we sing, when we sing, we engage in a spiritual soliloquy. I don't know about you. I, I'm not always a singer. Uh, singing may not be your thing. And sometimes when you come in and, and we, we play music and you're like, you kind of nod your head, you like the beat, but, but singing may not be your thing. Here, here's what I would encourage you. Singing does something in our mind and in our hearts. Because when we say something out loud for what we hear, we aren't listening to our hearts, and instead we're talking to them. When we sing, especially the songs we we sing on Sunday, we are interrogating our own hearts and reminding them about God. We're taking the truths about God that can be abstract, that can be distant, that can be un- just affecting to our everyday life, and we start to press them down into our soul. We say out loud what is actually true, and we hope and we help ourselves believe it and so that they catch fire there. Amen. Amen. That we can go on a personal journey of being reunited with God and that's available to us, that God does have a plan to bring justice on the evil we experience both in our lives and in the world. Let me me say it this way, for how this, when we start to talk to ourselves through music, especially good music, good lyrics that talk about the hope that we have on the other side of death, the hope about the way the world comes to consummation. As we almost walk around... Does anyone remember, like, the old 3D glasses? L- like, the, the, the ones with, like, the, the red, like, lens and the blue, like, lens. And it was, like, in order to see the, the picture, you had to have both of them on. Now, I know technology has advanced a little bit, so you don't need different colors. And some 3D movies, you don't even need glasses anymore. But, but like, the old 3D glasses, I, I always like that picture, that image. Because in order to see the depth and the breadth of the image... You need these glasses. See, for followers of Jesus, we have two lenses that we look through. One that says, God has moved personally on your behalf. That there's a God who loves you and has not forgotten about you. That you're not the sum total of your past mistakes, your sin or your shame. So that when you feel alone in your sorrow, that there is a God who has moved on your behalf. And you just simply have to respond because death has been arrested in Jesus. And so while that's true personally, there's a second lens. And it's how we look at the world around us. That there is a good creator God that sees the brokenness and doesn't leave things broken. But sent Jesus to bring all things into subjection. To redeem all things. To make the world new. And talk about a future day when it will be fully restored. See, for the follower of Jesus, when we recognize who Jesus is and what he has done, we begin to walk around like we almost have a pair of 3D glasses on so that we can see the depth and the breadth of God's love for us and for the world. That there is the power of what he has done and there is purpose for us. To experience change in our own life, but also that we have the capacity through Christ to bring about change within our world. See, when the head and the heart converge, the resulting hope sustains. You have the ability to bring hope wherever you are. Because we know that in our daily lives, people talk about the way the world works. They talk about perspective on life, perspective on life, and perspective on death. But when you are shaped through personal change by Jesus, and begin to think about how God is going to bring and make all things new, work in the midst of brokenness, you can be a voice of hope to those who are hurting. You can experience hope while you are hurting. Because the death, the pain, the tears, and the grief do not have the final say. And that is the hope available to you right now. If you are someone who is trying to navigate this right now, that is available to you. And if you're someone who's a man, life's good. Life's good. I'm glad that life's good. But chances are you've got someone in your life who's got some pain and who's hurting. And your perspective, your potential to have an eternal perspective, so that you can be present with them in the midst of the hurt, can be impactful. And you can say, I don't have all the answers. I'm not perfect right now, but I am shaped by a bigger story. I will not let the sin-soaked world, I will not let my own sin shape me, but I will be shaped by the big story of God moving on my behalf and responding, of God moving on behalf of the world and going to make all things new. Because of Jesus. So the good news today isn't just about your individual happiness or God's plan for your life. It's about God's plan for the world. Because of Jesus. And he wants to use you to bring about that hope and that healing. So my hope is that you experience that hope and that healing personally. And recognizing that death has been arrested. Oh death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God, I come to you right now in prayer. I am so thankful that you love us, that you have pursued us. God, that we are not alone, that that, that we don't have to just sit and wallow in our pain and suffering, but know that you are present with us in the midst of it. That death and sin and suffering will get justice, that it will get us to God. So I just pray that each and every day we can have a hope and a purpose and a power that transcends every and any circumstance you are good. Thank you for your goodness. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.